Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here today. We hope you get to know your Bible a little bit better today uh, because we're going to try to find some answers to your questions and that's what this program does. If you're a first time viewer, question and answer program. Uh, we've got some operators standing by at the phone number on your screen. Uh, we've got a website where you can register your questions and we'll get to them as quickly as we can. Uh, but we just take viewers' questions. Uh, you know what you want to know about the Bible. Uh, we don't try to tell you what we think you need to know about the Bible. We know everybody's got their own questions and that's why we operate this way. You tell us what you'd like us to talk about on this program. You direct the program. So give us a call, log on. Give us your question. Let me introduce Toby Levering, who's here to help me answer questions. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and studied up and ready to go. And uh, viewers always give us plenty to keep up with, but we always start with one for them. So here's one for our viewing audience. Uh, what weapon did Samson use to kill a thousand Philistines? Samson killed a lot of Philistines in his life, but uh, one time he went on a little rampage with a special weapon and killed a thousand of them. So you uh, see if you know that one and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Looks like I drew the first one today and it's about divorce. If uh, you just wants a verse, where does it say God hates divorce? You may have heard that God said that at some time. He uh, had recorded it in Malachi 2.16. Let's just look at it on the screen. Malachi 2.16, very simple verse. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Now, uh, that's not the only thing he hates by any means. Uh, he hates all kinds of sin. And some specific ones he lists every once in a while. You know, there are a number of lists in the Bible, where, especially in the Old Testament, where it says God hates these seven things. And uh, basically he hates all sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. But he hates it because of what it does to us. And I think that's the important thing to note is God wants the best for us. John chapter 10 and verse 10, I think is a key verse. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life, uh, eternal life. He wants us to go to heaven. And then he says, and that they might have it more abundantly. He wants us to have life here on earth, an abundant life. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have a happy marriage and good kids and uh, all of He doesn't want us to be in debt and all of that. So, he makes some rules, you can call them, or regulations, or just like the Ten Commandments are the basis of society. If we follow those, families work better, societies work better. Just think through them. If you don't steal, if you don't lie, if you don't covet, this would be a better place to live. So that's what God is after. He wants the best for us. And in Malachi 2.16, he was thinking about divorce. He said, I hate divorce. I say that every once in a while. 
after I've talked to a couple who's divorcing and I see what it's done to them, I see what it's doing to their kids and see what it does to their relatives, I say, I hate divorce. Well, it's not because I don't want people to be happy, it's because I do want people to be happy. And I see the results of it and the, the, the effects on people. So that's the way God is. He wants the best for us. And one of the things he hates is divorce, and it does cause an awful lot of problems. So Malachi 2.16 is your answer. All right, Toby. Good answer. Uh, next viewer wants to know, does Hebrews 4.12 say something about how to tell your child to wait until marriage to get pregnant? Well, I think probably the best way to answer this question is simply to look at Hebrews 4.12, and we can read that together. For the Word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So I think the answer directly is no. Hebrews 4.12 does not say anything directly about that subject. I would say maybe generally, if you want to stretch it a little bit, what it is talking about is the efficacy of God's Word and the power which it has in our lives. Just like Steve talked about a moment ago about divorce, you know, uh, the, the scriptures tell us all sorts of principles for having a blessed life. And so we can go to God's Word and see some principles that we could maybe, if you've got a teenage son or daughter and they're tempted in that way, as many teenagers are, uh, sitting down with them and simply laying out God's Word uh, in a way that says, here, here's what God wants for you. And when you do that, I think uh, we can have some, some impact on our children because God's Word is so powerful. Um, but in the Scripture itself, it doesn't say anything about that subject. If you'd like a Scripture which talks a little bit about that subject, let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. <clears throat> there the verse reads, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So if you're on that subject and you, know, you want some verses from God's Word, there are some verses that I think might help. But I, I truly believe that God's Word is powerful and effective for all the issues of life. It's one of the reasons we talk about it uh, so much and study it on this program. hope that helps you. All righty. Viewers obviously heard a, a rumor or heard a verse read one time and wants to know where it is. Uh, verse, or the question is, where does it say, if you break one commandment, you're guilty of breaking them all? Well, that sounds a little bit odd. Sounds almost unfair, doesn't it? But the Bible does say that, and it happens to be in James chapter 2 and verse 10. So let's look at that together. Uh, James said, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. Keep the whole law, but fail in one point, you're accountable for all of it. Now, that, like I said, that sounds kind of unfair, but it's actually good news because we don't have to be justified by law. And that's what James is pointing out here is how good grace is. Uh, the system of grace, how wonderful it is compared to the system of law. Uh, if you want to be pleasing to God by keeping the law, then you got to keep all of it. You got to do everything God ever said to do. For instance, some people say, well, all you got to do to please God is keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, just get it down to ten little rules. If you keep them, you're all right. 
Well, that works fine in theory until you sit down and start thinking through them. And if you think through them and really, really are honest, ask yourself, have I ever lied in any way? You know, have I ever stolen anything? Have I always honored my parents to the, the best of my ability? Have I ever coveted anything? You, you may not have murdered anybody, but you go through all ten and you pretty soon you're saying, whoa, I'm, I may have messed up on that one a little bit. So when you say that, if you're trying to please God by keeping the law, if you just break one of them, you don't, you're not, you didn't score a hundred. And that's what you got to do if you're going to try to keep by law. Pleasing God by grace is trusting Him, trusting Him and Jesus' blood on the cross to take care of you. And that way you don't have to score a hundred percent. In fact, you can't score a hundred percent. You're saved by grace through faith. So that's what James is saying. Uh, not how horrible, uh, he is saying how tough it is to keep the law, but mainly he's praising the system of grace and how much better that is. So thankfully we don't have to try to please God by keeping the law today. Some people think they do and uh, it makes for a miserable life trying to keep up with every law and every law perfect. Uh, I prefer to be justified by grace. I think that's the way I'll try to go, Toby. Heaven's not a gift. I'm not getting in. <laughs> yep. All right, let's take just a moment and talk about studying the Bible. We uh, study the Bible with you every week and answer a few questions, but a lot more in the Bible. And a lot of it teaches us how to live life, and that's why we want people to know the Bible themselves and why we provide so many uh, free study materials that uh, we'll send to you in the mail. Uh, we'll get them to you, and you can learn a lot about the Bible. We've been offering these for ever since we've been on the air, and we've had thousands of folks let us know that they really learned a lot about the Bible. Uh, the first lessons, first series you see on the screen right now, there are eight lessons in it, and it's a good introduction to the Bible, a good way to get started. It tells you the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is pretty foundational. You need to know that, and this series explains that to you. Once you get through the eight lessons and have them all completed, we've got a nice certificate that we'll get to you uh, to thank you and to honor you for getting that much Bible study in. And then we've got some more advanced courses beyond that that if you want to keep studying, we've got some materials that will help you learn a lot more about your Bible. So phone number, website are on the screen. Use them anytime. Just tell us you want that free course. We'll get it started for you. We think you'll like it and we think you'll learn a lot about the Bible. All right, Toby, your turn. A very difficult uh, moral dilemma here. Okay. A viewer asks, and they say, my mother had a major stroke, and we have to decide whether to disconnect life support. Am I killing her? Well, this is one of those uh, uh, dilemmas that modern medical science has put us in, and not that modern, modern medical science isn't wonderful in some aspects, uh, but... Uh, it does bring us to these situations sometimes where machines can technically uh, keep the lungs breathing by pumping air in and out and uh, keep keep everything moving to sustain the body uh, but the soul the spirit seems to to be gone seems to be distant and it can be very difficult for families to have to come to that point and decide what to do and uh, what to what to do about it um, my, my, without knowing any of the situation, 
I'll just say if, if a person is being forced by machines to be kept alive, uh, I don't believe that's life. I don't believe that's what God intended uh, when, he, when He created life. Uh, as you describe it, it sounds like what killed her was the stroke and not you. Um, and it can, of course, be a very difficult situation with your own mother. And so uh, I, I hesitate to give you any uh, counsel one way or the other. A three-minute answer will certainly uh, not address all of the issues. So uh, you need to talk to your doctors. Uh, you need to ask a lot of good questions. Um, you need to talk with the family and get everybody's way in on it and, and understand uh, uh, that the life that your mother lived and the joy that she has brought to so many and the blessing which she has been to you and others uh, is through her and not by just keeping the body alive. Um, so talk to the doctors, talk to the family, um, and, and talk to the Lord and ask God, you know, if, if it's your will for her to remain alive, uh, keep her alive off of the machines and off of life support and show us that, that, that your, your days ordained for her are not yet over. And I, I believe, I appreciate the spirit of the question because God-fearing people love life and they want to maintain and preserve life to the best of their ability. But sometimes uh, you get in these situations and you have to weigh whether what's, what's really life and what's really living. Let's look at a verse from Psalm chapter 139 together. Uh, there David writes beautifully. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And I want you to pay attention to this verse here. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So God knows exactly the length of your mother's life and uh, you need to have a good set of discussions with doctors and family and lay it before the Lord and make the wisest decision you can. Alrighty, thank you Toby. <clears throat> uh, best advice is past to do. Uh, best advice there is to talk to your mother and other family yeah. members uh, prior to getting into this situation. Uh, fill point. out the advanced directives and yep. discuss here's how, what I want done to keep me alive or not to keep me alive. And then knowing your parents' will on that is just a great comfort, much easier to make the decisions, much easier to discuss it with siblings and all that. If nobody's ever talked about it, it's, it's a difficult situation. So yeah. sit down and talk about that today, no matter how old your sure. parents might be, and uh, you'll have a much better feel for it. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, question. Some who claim to be Christians still work on Sunday. Is it okay if it's an act of mercy or work of mercy? God is very clear. All right. Uh, well, let's start with this. So that's a, a question. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus had a problem with that. He argued with the Pharisees and them about the law, which said about the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Now, that's all the law said, but the Pharisees had made up all sorts of rules and regulations. So Jesus said things like, well, what if your animal falls in a ditch? You know, your horse is out or your donkey's out and falls in the ditch and can't get out. If you get him out, is that work or not? Uh, for instance, when Jesus healed P 
people on the Sabbath. Uh, he made a blind man see. He made a lame man walk on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were just aghast. They said, oh my, he's working. That's working to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Well, obviously they'd forgot the whole purpose of the Sabbath, and that's what Jesus told them. Doing good on the Sabbath is all right. But this question has two real fundamental misunderstandings in it. Uh, I don't mean to be overly critical, but there's just two things that are wrong as the basis of this question. And the first one is, is that the Sabbath is still law. Uh, for instance, our viewer said, God is very clear. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, you, when the Sabbath was in existence, that's right. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath has been taken away. It is not repeated in the New Testament. We are not told to keep remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, the Old Testament Jews had to do that. Uh, we do not. And Paul said in Colossians, don't let people judge you about a Sabbath day. We don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. Uh, the second misunderstanding is that the Sabbath, whatever it meant for the Jews and all the rules and regulations, has been transferred somehow to Sunday. And some people call Sunday the Christian Sabbath. Well, it's not. If the Sabbath's been taken out of the way, uh, it's not on Saturday or Sunday. Now, if you want to keep the old law, if you want to live under the Old Testament, yes, uh, the Sabbath is still Saturday, and you'd have to keep all the laws of the Sabbath. If you're a Christian, the Sabbath is not in effect, and it's not in effect on Sunday. Uh, now, the principle of working on Sunday, that's a different matter. Uh, I think it would be good if we didn't work on Sunday. We used to have blue laws in this country that said you couldn't open shops and stuff on Sunday, and we've gotten completely away from that. Uh, it used to be reserved more for religious activities and family activities and all that, and that was kind of... I guess old-fashioned today, but it was nice. Uh, so I think it's better not to, to devote your day to uh, church things and family things and all of that. But we don't have a law in the Bible about it. So that's the two misunderstandings. Sabbath has been taken away. It's not on Sunday. Uh, if you need to work on Sunday, uh, occasionally, what I personally, I don't think somebody ought to take a job that requires them to work all the time on Sunday. Uh, I think that's a matter of priorities, you know, to worship with the saints. Uh, but once again, no Bible law on it. There are right. still some companies that practice that. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. uh, very profitable companies that I love, <laughs> Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. Uh, you know, yep. they just put that into practice of letting their employees spend time with their families for what, worship. And, you know, it's interesting that they are much more profitable in six days <laughs> than other of their competitors can do in seven days. Yep. I mean, you're right. There's no direct uh, chapter and verse, but the principle of rest and, and oh. just rejuvenation and priorities is yeah. clear. And I probably should have taken a little time to say that. I think the principle of the Sabbath is still great. Yeah. I think God intended us to rest, and we ought to think about that. And when and how we do it is a little more open to us. But I think the principle is a good idea. Mm -hmm. It's just not we're not regulated right. on a yeah. special day. Right. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. They keep us on the air, and we like to thank some of them. And today, let me thank the one up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. If you live in that town, you may have seen this bus bench. Uh, that's a nice bus bench, by the way. It's a lot nicer than we've got in Wichita. Uh, and there's an ad on it there for... Uh, watching Know Your Bible at 9 o'clock in the Sioux Falls area. 
And the Sioux Falls Church of Christ is the one that provides that advertisement and also helps keep us on the air uh, wherever we broadcast, 1208 Southeastern Avenue. Great bunch of folks there. Uh, I know you'd be warmly welcomed. We appreciate their support and uh, confidence in uh, their partnership and Know Your Bible. And uh, I know you'd be warmly welcome if you dropped in sometime. Maybe you know somebody that goes, attends that congregation. Uh, just tell them. You notice their ad on TV uh, that you watch Know Your Bible all the time and enjoy the program. And give them a thank you for keeping it on the air for you. So do that wherever you live. And wherever you live, if you're looking for a church home, uh, drop in and visit the Church of Christ sometime. I know that uh, you'd find a group of people that study and think about the Bible like we do on this program. Uh, tell them thank you for providing Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, you got a question for us? Yep. Uh, someone would like an interpretation of a verse. They ask, please clarify Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. So let's do that by first looking at Hebrews 10, 26 and 27, which say, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Boy, when you read those two verses just right there, it just seems like, boy, you better walk that fine line and you better not absolutely let go of it. And uh, I think that's interpreted a little bit incorrectly. If you read in context, the Hebrew writer is really talking about Christ Jesus is the one final sacrifice for all people. Now, of course, he's writing to the Hebrews, the Jewish people, and they, of course, were familiar with daily sacrifices and sin offerings and all sorts of offerings and sacrifices that you had to do regularly, daily, weekly, monthly. And these sacrifices just probably became um, a little bit routine, a little bit, uh, you know, well, we just got to go sacrifice a goat again. And um, I think what he's trying to say here is that with Jesus, we come to the last final opportunity to, for redemption between God and man. And if you, if you leave Jesus, if you turn away from Christ, uh, there's no hope left. And, and that is absolutely true. Uh, Jesus said as much. Uh, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me, uh, comes to the Father except through me. And so uh, Jesus is the, our last best hope of man beyond earth. He is the one uh, final sacrifice for our sin. Now, I don't believe this is saying that you've got to live a absolutely perfect once you're in Christ. And if you mess up on one sin more than one time, boy, you're just, you're just out of there. Uh, that's not what the verse says in context at all. He is emphasizing the supremacy of the sacrifice of Christ against all the other sacrifices that the Jews would have been familiar with and the patriarchs would have offered. So uh, that's it. Christ is our only final hope. Let's read Acts chapter 4, verse 12, in which Peter said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Hope that helps you. Okay, thank you, Toby. Now, uh, viewers got a question about a verse he thinks he's heard. Uh, where does it say, for your labor, you should not charge an arm and a leg? Well, I've, <laughs> I've heard parts of that somewhere and parts of it somewhere else, I think. Uh, it's a good idea, a good rule, I guess, but I don't think it's Bible. 
I don't think that is in the Bible anywhere. Uh, there are a lot of things that sound like Bible, or uh, we call them chimney corner scriptures. People <laughs> have said it forever, and it sounds like it's bound to come from the Bible. Uh, but that one I don't think I've ever heard as being charged to the Bible. Uh, for your labor, don't charge an arm and a leg. Good idea. Uh, let's look at one verse that maybe summarizes that concept. Luke chapter 10 and verse 7, the laborer is worthy of his hire. Now that kind of takes it from both directions. Uh, and the Bible teaches that an employer ought to treat an employee fairly and pay his day's wages and pay him a fair day wages and all that, what he's worth for the day. And an employee ought to work worthy of his wages. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 it talks to slaves and employees and it says serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord. So as Christians, whether we're a boss or an employee, uh, I think this wage thing, we ought to be fair about it. Uh, be honest and uh, do some wage studies. Find out what uh, add the average uh, janitor or the average bookkeeper or whatever you're paying for is getting and be fair about it. If you've got an excellent employee, pay them more. If you get one that's new and just learning, you can pay them a little bit less. Uh, but be fair about it. So a laborer is worthy of his hire. Uh, but that verse that, or that uh, saying that our viewer came up with is not in the Bible, I don't think. <laughs> All right, Toby. You know, we talk about uh, knowing your Bible, <laughs> and there's a viewer has a question about books that are not in the Bible. Mm. Let's look at that question together. Why are there certain books not included in the Bible? Okay, well, if you are looking at a, uh, a Catholic Bible or a Mormon Bible, uh, you'll see that there are books that are in those Bibles that are not in what we typically uh, call the Bible. Um, they're, they're extra books. <clears throat> Scripture in, in total, uh, the inspired 66 books of the Bible uh, have been accepted generally through uh, several uh, millennia of uh, people and uh, have been accepted for their divine inspiration and accepted authorship and authenticity and reliability and accuracy and so forth. But there are these other books that don't quite meet that standard that the canon does. We call them the apocryphal books, and they are the, the extra books. Um, and depending on which uh, Bible you read, there, there's a different number with each one. Uh, those authors are mostly unknown. Uh, they were not historically accepted into the canon. Christ or the apostles didn't reference them. Uh, none of them claim divine inspiration. And uh, many of them have some factual errors. And this leads us to say, well, are they really divinely inspired? If God wrote those books, uh, they certainly wouldn't contain errors. And so that's, uh, that's why they're the extra books, and that's why there's dispute as to whether or not they're uh, really the, the books of God. And you know, on this program, we'll only uh, view the 66 books and study those as well. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, not on your screen, but it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful so uh, that's uh, a quick answer to a, a large question. Yep, we can discuss that all day, but you were right. All right, let me take this moment and uh, make sure our trivia question gets answered. If you were, uh, we ask you viewers, what weapon did Samson use to kill a thousand Philistines? And that was the famous battle when he used the jawbone of a donkey. He looked around for a weapon and there was a jawbone, so he picked it up and uh, began to use it quite effectively <laughs> against the Philistines, killed a thousand of them that day. 
All right, we're out of time for questions, uh, but we're glad you've been with us today. If you've got uh, other questions, call us in anytime. We'll get to them quickly as we can. We're thankful you're here, and until we see you next week, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.